Welcome to the Rolling Reel with Renard, the podcast that rolls out the blueprint for your personal and business transformations. You'll hear authentic stories, experiences of our guests to inspire you to create your own path to success. I'm your host, Renard Brown, and we're here to dive into the fascinating topics of health, wellness, biohacking, fitness, business, and of course, martial arts. Get ready for another exciting episode. Let's roll. Today, we have an incredible, inspiring guest joining us. I'd like to introduce you to Cornelius Parkin, the preeminent authority in the realm of bodybuilding and fitness coaching. With an unparalleled expertise in human development and performance, Cornelius has established himself as a true visionary in the industry. His insights have transformed countless lives, making him an ideal guest for the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast. He's dedicated to exploring the depths of personal growth and achievement. So in this episode, we're going to dive into the mind of Cornelius Parkin, uncovering the secrets to his success and delving into the profound understanding of human potential. So, Cornelius, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Oh, well, thank you for such a nice introduction, Renard. It's a true pleasure to be on your podcast. Absolutely, man. This is, it's, guys, just so you know, I have known Cornelius for uh, several years right now. And I have personally witnessed insane, incredible transformations. And he's not even, he's not even like getting started yet. I mean, it's fascinating. So I have a boatload of questions that I've been personally dying to ask. So we'll start off with like some basic stuff. So first and foremost, you know, you've had this incredible as well as a remarkable journey in the world of bodybuilding and fitness coaching. So when you think of it, what initially inspired you to pursue this path and how has your perspective evolved over the years? Well, thank you, Renard. That's a really good question. I would say, like many people born in the 80s, growing up seeing the various cartoons, the He-Mans, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it always gave us a very masculine view of what it means to be a man, basically an exaggerated, strong, powerful figure. So my father was not bodybuilder, but he was a strong man. He was a special forces in the English army. He had PTSD, he had various issues over the, over the years. And he ended up dying at age 47. And I remember one of the last things he did, realizing that he was dying, not wanting to urinate in his pants, he made sure to urinate on the floor next to the chair where he then died. And that gave me a very good lesson to always be in control. And that is something that nearly three decades later was part of the reason why I came up with my control training. But back then, it was purely, it was partly a lack of male figures in my life as I was growing up. Going to the gym, especially if you were really into it, you would soon develop a social circle. Generally, these are older men around you. It can give a good, good and bad environment to grow up in. And I was always very good at being explosive, at being strong. Even though I mainly did extreme sports, at age 15, the first time I went into an actual gym, not the gym I had in my bedroom that I had since age 12, I deadlifted 500 pounds. I didn't realize how that was super strong for a 150-pound guy. I just did it. And from there, I quickly excelled in powerlifting. But I came to this hard fork in the road when I was around 18 that was either continue 
my aggressive inline skating, which I absolutely adored, or focus on the powerlifting and the bodybuilding. So I had come to a point where my body weight was too high to stay as good on the rollerblades. Like when you're trying to throw a 540 down a set of 15 stairs or so, there's a big difference if you are, you know, 176 pounds compared to 160 even. Every little extra pound makes a big difference. So I decided because at the time, and ironically now it's changed, but at the time most skaters stopped by about age 25, 26. Skateboarders continue, but rollerbladers didn't. So I was like, I'm 18 now. If I continue on this path, okay, but I won't even have probably more than a decade of this. And then I'll have to find something else to be good at because physically I won't be able to continue. Now, ironically, there's been an upsurge of guys who are my age who did skate at that point coming back into skating. And skating now in, albeit most of them, a much safer style of training because we understand how bad it is to get injured. But anyway, I got into the powerlifting. I excelled at that. I broke a world record very quickly. All-time teenage 198 record. I deadlifted 733. Back then was a very big deal. It was beaten a few years later, but at the time, it was an all-time world record. And I got a few different great trophies overall world champion teenage gpc that's global powerlifting for that was at the time that was the big one that was uh non-tested just whatever goes strongest to the strong go there and yeah i went there and i won that was a big deal but the powerlifting took a oh yeah yeah, yeah it was a big deal yeah, <laughs> yeah it took nice. a it took a really big toll on me renard like i would literally leave a puddle of blood on the platform after every lift because i wasn't not going to do the lift but when you put 700 plus pounds on your spine, you squat it down, squat it up. It's, it's not, you can do it, but it's not good for you. So I was like, you know what? Even though I'm on the Irish powerlifting team and yeah, I'm, I enjoy it, but I do here a lot. I'm going to go to America because when I was 13, I remember seeing a flex magazine in a small town called Limerick in Ireland. And I grew up on a little farm. So you have to, you have to understand where I'm coming from. I saw this magazine and on the cover, there was Lee Priest. And I remember looking at him and I remember seeing his Superman symbol on his arm, which many years later I got one. I allowed myself to get a Superman sign when my arms were over 19 inches. I said, once your arms are 19 inches, you can have a Superman sign. But then I made the death of Superman in part because of my father and just for a few different, more symbolic reasons than your average death of you know, average Superman sign. So I went to America. In America, powerlifting is not a national sport. It's, yeah, there's lots of powerlifters, but it's different. I didn't want to do it. So I got into bodybuilding and, oh, going back, when I saw this magazine, this Lee Priest on the picture, I said, one day, I'm going to be in America. I'm going to have sports cars. And I don't know if it's going to be me being a professional bodybuilder, because back then there weren't many professional bodybuilders. I'm sure you can remember Renard in the late 90s, early 2000s. If someone was a professional bodybuilder, yeah. you'd know it. Yeah. You, you, they, no one had to say, I, they didn't have to have on their jacket, IFBB. No, you, you know. It's good. You know. Yes, these are very unusual looking special people. So even with your best physique, you didn't go, oh, I'm definitely going to be a pro, which is an issue which we have with the society now. People who do bodybuilding purely to get this external affirmation of a pro card, which they pay you now nearly $300 for a year or so. How professional that really makes you, I don't know. But... I did bodybuilding, did well with that, but I ended up breaking my spine, ski jumping. When I was, so what happened with the ski jumping? I was skiing, and I still had good skills, so I told my wife and my mom, hey, watch this. 
had to shot down towards a big ass uh, ramp that was it was kind of a country kicker i hit it but as i hit it i hit ice and i kind of slipped back and i overshot the landing completely Ooh. came down on my back i don't know how far it was at least 30 40 like it was very far down and i couldn't move at first eventually people asked if i wanted a helicopter i said absolutely not and i got back on the lift and i got myself back to the chalet but it turned out that broke five vertebra two weeks later i had operation for it then i had an operation to take it out it was actually in that first experience when i rebuilt my body after breaking it that i noticed that my body's which i would come to know as alignment at the time something had changed because i would hold quite a lot of water when i was younger now looking back i think it's because certain parts of my body were just kind of jammed up when i did skating I really damaged my feet and my calf. And it was literally only at age 37 that I realized that you can actually release the feet. And then in turn, you can work out the scar tissue on the calves. But when you never work it out like that, it just causes literally a spiral of issues throughout the body. And I can remember it quite clearly. Because as you know, Renard, I just finished fixing my entire right upper side of my body. I've had two surgeries and I had the tissue in my lat calcify and bind everything together. But the big thing about that is it started when I was 18. Because I remember I went skating. I tried to grind this handrail. I tried to do a switch up. One foot ran to the other. I missed it. I fell. I hurt my arm. Went to the hospital for six hours. It was a very bad experience. My mother was there. I felt very stressed about it. And then the doctor said to me, just move your arm. There's nothing wrong with it. And that really stood out to me because there was something quite wrong with it. It was quite hurt. But it wasn't and no bones were broken. And it was then, for a few months, I couldn't train properly, and that's when I first felt a little knot appear in my upper lat, which I would then learn years later is actually the body starting to implode. Basically, the lat, the shoulder, the arm, everything melting together causes a lot of dysfunction, and as it turns out, most people actually have that to some degree. They just don't have the calcification like I had, because that's from the, you know, the surgeries. As you know, we worked on you a little bit, and your tissue... Although bound up, not calcified, it undone itself. That was that was amazing to watch. Yeah, that was amazing to actually watch the fascia, and that's what you would call it, the fascia where you were removing that. I'm not gonna pretend that I'm a super expert on any of it. I did I got a D in physiology and anatomy in university. I'm gonna I tell the truth. But I have realized after I've done all this stuff, I have studied the work of Thomas Myers anatomy trains. And he talks about all these different spirals and connections in the body. And it was fascinating reading this book because it completely lined up with everything I experienced. Right. Including moments like breaking some scar tissue in my calf and feeling literally this chain reaction, this spiral going through my entire body, loosening, relaxing everything to the point where I was genuinely scared because I said, everything is so loose. I felt like little electric shocks coming from my spine. It was just... I'm like, have I done something bad? I, I then went to sleep. And then the next morning, it had tightened out enough to be good again. So what this has been is... Wait, wait, say that again. It tightened up. It and... tightened out. Like, it, the best way to example, like I broke a piece of scar tissue in my calf, which released the calf. At the same time, it felt like a spiral went through my body. I like a spiral of scar tissue breaking, going up all the way through. I didn't know what that should be until I read the book Anatomy Trains. And they have some very good podcasts on YouTube too where they talk about this. They talk about how the body is constantly, it's connected in all ways, but it's connected, you know the old saying, 
something's wrong with your toe and it affects your shoulder. And people will be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But if you think about it, Renard, if you think about the fact that the body is essentially this substance within a sack, which is constantly moving and moving. If, even if we get a callus on our toe, you have a sack and everything should move freely inside this sack. If there becomes a point where the sack gets blocked and gets stuck, over time, this will affect everything in the sack. So over time, your callous toe could be the downfall of your entire body and in turn mind if you let it. And that's what people don't take into account. And this is a big argument to have with people. They say, well, there's always going to be something that you have to oh. fix. No, no, no. Once you've fixed it, it's all fixed. The problem is if you have one thing, then you have everything. But if you can work through and get everything fixed, and then obviously problems will come up, but there is a big difference between your shoulder being jammed up because you've had a couple of days of inactivity or something like that and you need to work it out and your shoulder being jammed up for the last four years and it's not being moved. Right. We get a lot of emotional trauma build up and you know, I'm like the least hippish kind of person, but I know some of the stuff I say might sound out there, but I have experienced with myself and with everybody I've worked with, when you release an area that has been bound up for a long time. I think that's going to be a release of toxins, but I can't, I can't quote what a toxin exactly is. I know that I've had people get sick. I've thrown off myself. I've had a client who threw up after doing a lot of work. It's like nothing was painful while it was happening, but it's, it just was a lot for the entire system. And that's why I always say make sure you hydrate. That's why I lost so much weight. I did it on purpose. I fasted off in total 60 pounds because I realized when you're fasting, just a whole lot of good things are happening. But the main thing is when we're adjusting the body, and that's kind of a big thing that we're talking about. I know I've gone in circles a little bit, but when you realize that what our goal is, is to give ourselves space within ourselves, it becomes a lot more simple. That's why I always say to my daughter, I'm like, don't fold your arms because you're pronating your shoulders inwards. You're making yourself smaller. It's easy to make yourself small. It's not so easy to expand yourself. And anyone who's into bodybuilding can just think back to Pumping Iron, where Arnold says to the guy who was posing at the beginning, he says, you pose like a little guy. You have to pose like a big guy and open up. And that's true with everything, because you can be the little guy or you can be the big guy. It's your choice. You're choosing which one you're going to be today. Fascinating, man. What do you think, in your view, are the fundamental principles of achieving peak physical performance? And the second part of that question is, how do you think these principles translate into the broader areas of personal development? That's a great question, Martin. I would say there's two types of people. There is the bodybuilder, and I wouldn't actually call myself a bodybuilder. I'm Cornelius. One of the activities I've done quite a lot of in my life is weight training. That has created a muscular physique. And with that muscular physique, recognizing that it, you know, better than most people, I have competed with that as a bodybuilder. But the reason of training and that was never to partake in the competitive bodybuilding. I've just always liked training my body and different challenges come up and I attempt them. But there are two types of bodybuilders. The first is the slamming, clanging weights, smashing food, pumping the drugs, no days off, the external creation of the body, external stress into the body, forcing growth. Does it work? Absolutely, it works. Is it sustainable long-term? No. Is it the most enjoyable way to live your life while it's happening? No, not at all. It's, a, it's an existence of being unhappy. It's an existence of being self-critical and being fueled by that. But there's another type of bodybuilder, and that's where you're bodybuilding for life. 
And with that, you say, this is my body. Just like when I had an Audi R8, that too, actually. You don't not take them to the garage every month or so. They need work. But with the body, people go, well, you know what? I'm 37 years old. I've been training for 25 years, but oof, do all that stuff. No, I don't think I need to do that. I get a massage once a week and I get a chiropractor. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But it's like a drop in the bucket compared to the work you should be doing on yourself because you are the owner of this body. That's right. You're the one who's deciding you do the jiu-jitsu. I do the paladin. You throw yourself off a handrail on your skates or a skateboard. These are all choices you make. You cannot then be disappointed when your body fails on you because you didn't look after it and you just kept redlining it. Yet that's what people do. So people kind of mis misunderstand like this year. I many times said, yeah, guys, I finished aligning my body. I'm now going to be focusing on growth. But then I would work with a new client next day or a few days later, and I'd be like, okay, they have an issue here in their body. I would then go and examine my own body and realize I had the same issue. And I wasn't about to start building myself up more when I'm still broken. And that's what I tried to get across to all these people. I've had a lot of people pushing back, and they're like, oh, Cornelius, you know, I want to get super jacked ASAP. And I'm like, yes, but my method will actually visually make you the most jacked ASAP because you're going to maximize what you've actually got. And secondly, it's going to allow you to, in the future, continue progressing. And then when you're 37 and you want to go and try jiu-jitsu or something, you can actually go and systematically learn how to do it. While if you've just beaten your body into the ground, you haven't taken any self-care, all right, you'll go for, you'll go for three sessions on the third one, you get your arm bar, blow out your bicep, Oh, I hate jiu-jitsu, it's the worst, and you're done. I see it all the time. Well, if you put the self-care in and you prepare your body for what you want to do. Like I did many jiu-jitsu, I've been coming here since 2020 with my daughter. She's been the most consistent person to do classes, I've been the least consistent. But I've always learned from them, Renard. I've watched and I've learned, and I've learned so much from the jiu-jitsu. Even when we started, you'd always say I was like a tin man. And the truth was, I didn't know what to expect. And I didn't want to be caught off guard. Right. I did not want some. I didn't basically want to be next second, flipped on my back with my leg behind my head, knowing I don't have the mobility for that, getting hurt. That created this tension that I wasn't even aware of. So doing the classes with the privates with you, Renard, was extremely important for me to realize that you feel like you've got full body control, but you actually don't because you're not controlling your parasympathetic nervous system. So it was only when I was hanging outside your facility nearly throwing up not being able to breathe and all i had done was basically do a like a cuddle wrestle on very slow pace for like two minutes i'm like something is wrong here i should not be gassed like that so that began the process it was the same with the hip i didn't know exactly how to fix it. I had the worst hip here i spent some days six hours of stretching really painfully but because i didn't know how to stretch and didn't make a lot of progress from that because if you're fighting yourself stretching literally doesn't work it's how it's how it goes but what I would say is that's what it takes. It takes the idea and the knowledge that for every decision, for everything we do in life, there is a cost. We're giving something else up. So when you ask how, you know, how do you be so successful? When I was a teenager, yes, I won the things, Renard, but I also, in my entire teenage years, had less than 10 nights where I went out and had fun with friends. My entire teenage life, less than 10. I remember every time I loved them. They were amazing times. But for me, I had a goal. And the goal was to be the best power lifter, not only in the country, but anybody who'd come at me. That's <laughs> Yeah, that's why in a year and a half, I went from squatting, 
400, deadlift and 600, to doing both of the 700s. Same body weight. I've done all this, but there is a cost. The cost of locking in is what I call it, because I paid for that cost this year. At the start of the year, when I said to myself, I'm going to spend every second fixing myself until I'm fixed, because as a leader, as a father, as a coach, I have to be the best self I can be, otherwise I can't lead appropriately. But with that, and with the cost of locking myself in came cost of many of my close clients. My business went from making quite a lot of money to barely just hickling, trickling on. My own family started to think I had gone crazy because I was putting so much time and mean every ounce of energy I had, I put into fixing myself because I had said to myself, don't stop until it's done. So I guess what I say to you, Renard, is the people who do so well with certain things, as you know yourself, they lock in. And then no matter what, they keep going until the goal is achieved. And then the goal might be achieved like I achieved my goal about a week ago because it was like a computer program turned off in my mind. And I was like, oh, no wonder people have been kind of weird with me. I've been doing this for a year. I had no concept of time. All I had was the concept of I have to finish yeah. what I'm doing. And then I realized the whole year, I'm like, okay, it's fair that people have been a little concerned because a year is a very long time. But so I would say the biggest thing is realizing for everything in life, there is a cost. It's not a sacrifice. That's a terrible word. It's the opportunity cost, right? By choosing one thing, something else can't be chosen. That is correct. And people who then get all upset about this are the ones who usually go nowhere. That's right. And you have exactly the traits that make up these uber successful individuals where it's, it's, it's focus. I think what's interesting, Renard, because this is something I've pondered a lot uh, recently, and you might notice like often when I'm having a conversation, I will on purpose not make eye contact with the person simply because I'm focusing on my dialogue as clearly as possible and I can get distracted by keeping the eye contact on a podcast. For and I do that as well. Yeah. But I'll have people comment that people commented on that. And I had a couple of clients who have Asperger's and they commented on it. They're like, oh, you need to do a test sometimes. So I did that. You know, I paid for an online test and it said, now this is not a diagnosis. This is just a test. But I definitely tossed moderately strongly for an Asperger's, which means basically a personality where I am focused on what I'm focused on. I'm not as social as other people. I don't have quite the same bonds, creations. And it's true because I look throughout my life and I just value certain things differently than other things. I value self-improvement over everything. I always have. And that's something I learned from my father who was into, you know, he was Buddhist. I did Buddhism and training and all different things. And I listened to a lot of what he had said, like a big lesson for me when I was doing my fasting Earlier in the year, and you know, I was getting really deep into it because I did numerous five-day fasts back to back to back until I like I just kept pulling it down. He told me the stories of the monks who, uh, to in order to reach enlightenment, they would go and they pray at a specific um, little temple in the mountains. They wouldn't eat, they wouldn't drink, for I think it was at least two weeks. And every morning they would carry these pails down to the river. And they would fill the pails up with water and they would carry them back. They would never drink the water. Now you wonder, how did they survive? Well, it was always very misty in those mountains. So just through that, they're getting a little sustenance. But they have to see this water, even though they're so thirsty. They have to carry this water all the way back, but they don't drink it. And only through like total self-control like that can you unlock your true self. 
because otherwise you are always going to be limited by, like I said, with the tissue, bullshit tissue, bullshit thoughts, stuff that doesn't keep you in the line of what you're truly seeking to achieve. And, you know, discomfort will throw people off. Like, I know you have the discomfort club here. How many people come to this now, Renard? I'd say, say six to eight people, up to 10. And then when you say, hey, we're going to do this again to keep pushing ourselves, the numbers started dwindling. And so I would raise the temperature. You know, it doesn't matter what the water temperature is. It's, it's, it's a completely irrelevant, whether in 27 degrees, and 50 degrees, it's to me, it's the same. And it's in your mind. I think it's absolutely tremendous, Renard. As you know, I've only done it one time. And honestly, at that time, it was very hard for me. I had done some cold water. I've done cold water stuff many times over my life at different times. When I was a boy, there was a period of time I would get up every morning before the sun rose and I would run, I would swim in this quarry pool. And that was really cold every morning. And it's, it is, it, the cold is a great teacher. I don't think it's the only teacher, but it's a great teacher. And I remember when I was in here doing it with uh, you, the part that was hard for me was just like, just showing up. Because I had been so like mentally like trodden down. Just the fact that it's like, okay, now you got to show up. Now you got to sit in this. It, it didn't matter what it was. It was just that there was that expectation of performance. And I had been just like so worn down. And that's another thing. That's why it's very important to have like a really good team around you because I find the more extreme people and I've known many people like this often they have Asperger's style qualities or similar and the crazy thing about it Renard is in my little group of people not only am I one of the oldest I'm one of the only ones that's still alive like in my last contest there was a character called Boston Lloyd very very kind of like like me a niche character in the sport and his whole thing was that drugs drugs uh, conquer all and drugs are everything. And he competed against me. I did beat him. It was a great, he looked amazing. It was a great thing. And then after that, just kind of, neither of us competed again. He kind of went downhill a little bit, unfortunately, extremely much. And then he ended up dying because he injected the peptides that kill fat, which also killed the, the kidneys of the, the monkeys that they were injected into. But he's like, I'm not a monkey. Turns out you take a lot of it, your kidneys fell too human or not unfortunately so the point is it's being able to control that extreme side in us i'm sure you know that yourself your wife is very much a kind of an opposite energy to yourself because if you're just like all go in one direction you're definitely going to crash sooner or later absolutely that's why it's important to have the right people Bingo. in your circle yes. and one wrong person renard as you know ruins everything yes and it makes it a lot easier to say goodbye to individuals because you realize very quickly that they don't get you. And so what you were doing, I was like, oh, hell yeah, I'm getting motivated. I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. I was like, that is the coolest shit in the world. I was like, people don't get the guy. I said, I totally get it. I see what he's doing. Until you spend the entire day thinking about that, doing that one activity, you completely lose you know, track of time. Someone has to physically come over. Hey, you've been doing this for 18 hours right now and you haven't slept, you haven't eaten anything and you haven't had any kind of uh, liquid in your body. You need to stop. And I'm looking at him like, I'm pissed. I'm like, why are you interrupting me right now? And it's just like, I still have more work to do. You don't get it, man. And then there's the tension. What you said there is a hundred percent. And the thing I learned from art 
was I've learned to kind of see, see myself from outside eyes and yeah, me sitting in the office and me saying things like, yeah, I worked, you know, when I got, I had a quarter of a million dollars in crypto saved up that I earned during 2020, 2021 by working like 16, 18 hours a day. And I would have days where I ended the day because I was dizzy with a nosebleed. I was like, okay, that's a sign to stop. It's never something I would recommend to any client I've ever coached because it's actually not the most efficient way. The most efficient way is you work for 12 hours. You split those 12 hours up into three hour blocks. You intercede that with exercise, good nutrition. That's how you become really optimal. What I did was- Wait, hold on one second. Say that again. So instead of sitting there, getting up in the morning, right, banging the coffee, getting everything together, right, time to work and just work it nonstop until you have a nosebleed and you're wrecked. The reality is we know we can work hard for a short period of time, then a little bit of a break. So what I would say instead is if you work for even three hours, which is a long time to work straight, but let's say you work three hours and then you have an hour break and then you work another three hours. Having an intelligent approach to how you're addressing it is key. I did not. I just, in a time of desperation, when things had not gone the way I had expected them to go in any shape or form, which was really confusing to me at the time because that doesn't happen often. I said, I'm not going to stop, Renard, until I am fixed. I realized that I have the ability to fix my body parts by using control position, which is just making a stable base for the whole body, using counter tension, which I actually put a, it's funny, people are critical of my technique, but I put up a research paper on my Instagram story and it talked about exactly what I'm doing. It, mm-hmm. not, for, not for muscle growth, but for like basically developing the body just like making sure it's functioning like it should it's like it's it goes much deeper than just bodybuilding that's what people don't get and i put that paper up you know how many people have uh, clicked on it how many two and you know how many people view my story i have viewed it 1500 and you know how many people are critical of what i say not many openly, but I know many, many are not openly. And like, because I will make the joke, I say, I know it sounds a little bit hippie because I know what they're thinking. And they're like, yeah, it is a bit hippie. And I'm like, the thing is, actually, it's not. I just took all this time to research my own body. And remember, I have a quarter of a decade of training experience before that. But I always lacked self-awareness, Renard. I was one of those guys who was like, this is my body. This is my arm. It's a unit. I didn't see the intricacies. And then after spending all these months and times, like I can literally rub through the tissue on my forearm or anybody else's forearm and you can feel it. It's all there. You can yeah. feel where the tissue is. And it's not, it's not wrong. It's not feel. I tell anybody, feel around. If there's tissue that feels hard, calloused, not callous, but calcified, tough, there's a good chance there is healthy, good tissue hiding underneath that. You are impinging your body with this tissue. So the key then is you have to break it down and there's many ways of doing many things, but to just leave that tissue there, then go, I'm still, I want to grow these big muscles, pounding your body with food, drugs, abusive training. And I call abusive training when our training that is damaging your body. Yeah, we're getting a stimulus, but we're also damaging it like legitimately. Like I used to be massive into deadlifts. That was my thing. So when you're like the strongest in the world, that day, it's easy to be into it. And say one more time, how much were you deadlift? So the best I ever, my best record in 2006, I think it was eight, eight, it was start of March. It was right before I turned 20. I pulled 733 at 198 pounds. 
And that was after I squatted, what did I squat? I think I squatted 705, something around there. And the bench, my bench was never that great, around 400. But I used to just love deadlifts. And it's, it was really that lift where you can, you feel very manly. So people go, oh, I'm not making good gains. What's your advice as well? Do some deadlifts, kid. You know, put on that, pound the size. Now, I see the deadlift as a beautiful exercise, but not to use super heavy. But rather, it's a way of controlling and making sure that your body is strong through all the various ranges of motion. But it shouldn't be used as this like leverage exercise where you're trying to leverage up as much weight as possible. It will damage. Like my injuries that I've had, I have torn both of my lats. Both of them were deadlifting. When I tore my tricep off the bone, I was deadlifting. When I tore my spinal erector, I was deadlifting. And there's probably other times I remember when I was 19, I walked into the gym and I was always very cocky, Renard, because this was my one thing. And whenever somebody else was cocky in the gym, I was like, I'd have to show them up. So there were some kids and they were, not kids, they were powerlifters, but they had six plates in the deadlift and it was their big lift. I just walked in there cold, just grabbed it, repped it a few times and made some comments. And then I immediately walked out, Renard, because all my upper body was like little rips, micro tears everywhere. It was hurting like crazy. But obviously, I didn't let anyone know that. I just <laughs> never did that again. That was just uh, that was just silliness. But yeah, once you realize and you just get this, as I've shown you, it's not like it's it's not mystical stuff. It's literally you take your fingers, you press it into the tissue, and you will feel if there is adhesions, if there is just bound up tissue, whatever there is. And the reality is, if you work on this, you will see improvements not only in how you look but also in how you feel. Not tomorrow, not next week, but immediately as it happens. That's what makes it so rewarding. That's why I tell everybody, if you like bodybuilding, then you will love this because it makes you look better and feel better and you see results now. If you go and train your arms now, your arms are smaller tomorrow because they're broken down. They're not bigger. They might be bigger next week. So with this stuff, you are improving immediately. Oh, I, know, I can attest to everything Cornelius is saying. My body was imploding, and I remember going to you, and I was like, man, if I, I'm in this really weird situation because I, I can't put on a certain amount of weight, and, I, and every time it seemed like that I would lift weights, the pounds would just come on, and I'm like, shit, and it's hard for me to get that weight off. And, when, and so I looked beyond flat, like I was imploding, and it got to the point where I started experiencing nerve damage and numbness in my arms and my chest was flat. Everything was completely void. What is your weight relatively now, Renard? You're probably not heavier, are you? No, I'm 198 pounds. And so this this is a, a show we're listening to. We're not watching it, but Renard basically looks completely different to how he did a few weeks ago because his shoulders are now not internally rotated. They're actually pulled out, so he's looking very wide. And his chest and his back muscle look when we started like a honestly like a skinny fat person because it, you'd look at it and you'd go is that fat it's not a lot of it and you can't be a lot because Renard is very lean very much in shape so I was like no that's muscle that's not activated so as we align some stuff and all I ever mean by that is that we put it in the right place so it works properly it's like it's no magic to it it's a you know it's machinery we're a biological machine making sure all the parts are working the way they should but you look so much wider, you got the muscle. You put in all this work from the years before. So even Renard's biceps, as we worked on the scar tissue in his arms, his biceps got bigger and fuller. And it, was, it, was, it was immediate. Yeah. It wasn't like a couple yeah. days. It was immediate. And it felt like I can just pull 
the bicep, like literally, like you can pull just it. grab. Pull it. Yeah. I, call it, I call it pull it off the bones. Yeah, yeah, you can actually pull it off the bones. I was like, holy shit. I said, Leanne, look at this. And so I'm over there taking the clothes off and I was like, look, I actually have like a bicep, like a true bicep. You can see he's flexing his bicep right now. You can see the entire bicep. You can see where the brachialis go yeah. from the side. And see, that's the thing. That's He did the years of training. He's got a picture up in here in his office of him being all bulked up with a big moon face at probably 240 pounds. But the point is, Renard, you put the work in, just like I put the work in. So in the bodybuilding world, I'm considered absolutely tiny. I'm like a geriatric cripple, you would think. I'm still like, I'm still bigger than basically all of you who are saying that about me. Is <laughs> <laughs> like, but being honest, is like, you know, I hold around 200 pounds without weight training. With that, but the thing is, I have put all these years in before, just like you put all this training in before. So it's not like your muscles disappear. They just, if you have an Audi R8 V800 horsepower like I did, it needs to go constantly to the garage because things are getting out of alignment. The more complex your body is, the more of a fancy machine you have as a body, the more work it's going to take. If you're just one of these dads who's sitting out here, as long as they're not totally letting the head fall forward, they, you know, they probably won't get way worse, but they're never getting any better. They're never getting any better. And I've watched this coming in here, watching the jiu-jitsu for years, Renard. I watch you, and I watch that you are watching the fathers. You are also paying attention to see who is paying attention. So I've had it, I've, for me, it's always been a balancing act because I know that. So sometimes I will be doing checking something on my phone, but I'm very cognitively aware that you are also aware of what everyone's doing. It's like paying attention. I'm just doing something real quick, and I'm paying back. But a lot of fathers are literally just said head just sunk over, staring at their phone, missing their children's. They're literally missing out on the moment. And always watch Camilla's jiu-jitsu. But the jiu-jitsu, I tell this to all my clients who have children is the most important discipline for your children to partake in. Weight training is great. I've trained my daughter with weights since she's three. Sporadically. Sporadically. Maybe every few months we'll do a few workouts in a row. Then we take a few weeks off for similar. But she even won a deadlifting contest. She deadlifted her body weight 78 times in a row. Earlier this year, beating two professional powerlifting ladies. Can you imagine any 11-year-old girl beating you at a powerlifting the girl, the lady who went off her, did 75 reps. She nearly died trying it, but she tried. And Camilla, she pulled 78 reps, and people were like, it's just crazy. She just didn't stop. And I said, no, that's the discipline that she's learned between all the stuff I've done with her and all the years in jiu-jitsu. Because it's like when you coach people, when we come here, Renard, we are handing over our children and saying, Renard, you know, teach them. And that's all well and good when it's happening exactly the way the dads want it to happen. The second it's a little bit not what they want, they start getting more vocal. And I've heard it. I've sat there. I'd, I'd hear it. I'd hear it constantly. And sometimes maybe they'd have a valid complaint of some sort, but usually not. Usually it would just be their ego talking over and over. I'm like, is your kid hurt? No? Then he's doing a good job, isn't he? He's getting better. He's improving. Because I'm sure there are other schools you could go to where your child just gets mangled. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know I, I know that's a little bit of a diversion of what we were talking about, but it does it all kind of adds up because these kids they're fighting this uphill battle in their because I see it with my daughter like when I had to focus on myself so much this year she and I'll be the first to admit it went downhill from that it just is what it is I saw it happen and I'm like I was just I was working on myself as hard as I could so I'm like I had I had like a lot of unnecessary stress coming from aspects of life that. It just put myself into a weird situation. It's the best way to put it. But it's so important to maximize the training 
that you do with yourself so that you can train your children. That's what I'm trying to get around. But the point is, if I was like these other fathers and I just left it 100% in your hands, what happens when I'm sick of coming here? That's right. What happens when I have a, a, what have I, what have I, if I don't have the discipline to come here, like I was the most disciplined you, you can literally, I, you know, my, yeah, you see, I came, I yeah. came. And then once some stuff started happening, you could see how I was trying to hold on and I'd come and then it would be a drop away. But most of these fathers, it's like one little thing goes wrong. It's like, okay, we're done. I'll be the first person to tell you, I am not everyone's cup of tea. I am going to say things. I am going to likely do things that is counterculture. It's obviously I'm a one stripe white belt, but the information I have gathered, it is about basically dominating another human being. And there's a large psychological component to that, not just a physical component. Yes, there is a major, major psychological component. I was talking with uh, Ty and Cade Rotolo. We were in South Carolina. He just won the ADCC uh, champion. It's a very, very, it's the most exclusive championship in Nogi. So he won it. So I'm talking to him and his brother. How much emphasis do you put on mental attacks? And he, and he smiled and he was just like, dude, it's all psychological, man. At some point when you and another individual are equal in skill set, what's going to be the defining factor that allows me to, let's say, win a match or not win? It's all mental. I used to, when I did powerlifting from this, <laughs> I used to survive through the squat. I would survive through the bench press and I just waited for the deadlift. And then when I would do my first opening deadlift, which would immediately make up all the ground I had lost on the other lift, I would generally look at the competitors and shout, what now? What now? And then I would put the weight down while still looking at them and walk away. But I mean, I, 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 I actually got a message. I, I, got, I, got, I got a message from a powerlifter two days ago. And he said, I still, you were always such a big inspiration. He remembered when I was lifting in 2005. Yeah. Because back then, literally, I'll have people who still remember that because the audience got afraid because I just got so intense. I, I wish I had some good videos of it, but I used to just, I was not not going to get the lift. And that's why I enjoy powerlifting because I was able to tap into that like really. But it's a very taxing place to be and it's not a place that I intend on visiting anytime soon again. But being able to go there, yeah, there's unlimited strength there for sure. I think when people can tap into a savage side of themselves, and it's almost like an outer body experience when you enter a flow state where you know certain things are going to happen. It's like, you know, when I, I tore my calf muscle, it sounded like something broke. I was like, this is not good, and I couldn't even walk. There were so many dads that were saying, you need to pull out of that competition. I'm not sure. It could go either way. It's like if it's something that's going to hinder you, I'd probably be like, probably pull out because something else is going to get hurt. That's usually the way we're babying one thing and then something else gets blasted. It wasn't about proving someone wrong. I had no idea. I, I didn't care less. Yeah, okay. It was It was more or less like, am I mentally strong enough to push my mind to a point where I don't feel pain? I don't acknowledge pain. And it's just, I'm just, this is just a body. And my mind is the one thing that controls everything. Bernard. There's a picture of me dead squatting with blood coming out. Yeah, that you said you liked a lot. That reminded that was a European. It was the European contest. In yeah, 2006. I got there. Yeah, I was in France. I was extremely ill. I had an infection. I had a, a very high fever. I was hallucinating in my hotel room. I was staying by myself. 
the rest of the team all had other hotel rooms. So I had a choice, and that's either give up, because I was very sick, go to the hospital, or just to suck it up. And I sucked it up, and I beat the rush, and I was against by two and, like, two and a half kilos, so like five pounds. And we're talking about totals around 900 kilograms, so five, two and a half kilograms out of a 900 kilogram total is not a lot. It's very fi- tiny amount. But every lift I had, so I blew out every blood vessel. So sick. Yeah, I wanted a fo- I want a poster of Cornelius <laughs> doing this deadlift with his nose uh, pouring blood profusely. Out it's of it. one of those things for Nard when you're there and it's it's happening. It's like, well, yeah, I can stop pulling and go home of failure, or I can just go through it and we hope we don't aneurysm on the spot and die. Yeah, that's no, I mean. <laughs> I mean, especially now with these, uh, with the change of times and healthy soccer players dropping dead everywhere, people have to be careful. It's extremely, and I really do think that with a lot of the extreme training, extreme lifting, it puts such a tremendous strain on the heart, basically. Especially when you do a Valsalva hold and drive through, the blood pressure goes up so much. That's why a big reason that I'm not. I think powerlifting, I think it's amazing to be able to display power, to display strength. It's such an arbitrary thing, okay? So you can display this power on pressing this metal bar from your chest on a special bench up into the air. I mean, how does it translate over? Yeah, someone who benches 600 pounds is probably going to punch you pretty hard, even if they don't have the best technique. But that's like taking... It's like a Ferrari and doing like a cross-country freaking rally with it. It makes no sense. You could do it, but it's totally wasteful. And that's kind of how I see a lot of what people are doing now, especially in the bodybuilding training world. People are getting away from, and this is what it all goes back to, self-care. If we're training ourselves to be bigger and stronger, why would we train in a way that is also simultaneously damaging us? So it's like, okay, my arms are going to be bigger, but in about five years, I'm going to need Shell elbow replacement. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, you know, when people get injuries, their motivation drops and they pretty much stop doing that particular activity. I'm not a fan of that. Mm. I tip, I'd say, and you know, Cornelius can definitely vouch for this. I'd say easily 90 plus percent of every competition that I've done, I was injured. There was some type of an injury, a tear a dislocation, something. And so I've just learned to, in a very intelligent way, work around, still do the activity, but just be smarter about it. So when you think about like the many individuals who struggle with motivation and consistency and their fitness journey, can you share some effective strategies for maintaining long-term commitment to like health and fitness? Because just think about the new year's resolution. Everyone gets all pumped up. Oh, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to lose weight. And 80% of them fail, if not more. What are your thoughts about long-term commitments to health and fitness? So I would suggest that anybody who's listening to this, um, you just sit there and think to yourself, do you have people that rely on you? Yeah, probably. Do you enjoy your existence? Yeah, probably. Do you want to look a certain way? Yeah, probably. But maybe the looking a certain way is not even the most important part. Being around for your loved ones... And, you know, being a functioning part of society, which is in whatever role we take within society, that is our goal, those should override everything. So people are doing it for the wrong reason. People are always like, oh, don't do it for anybody else. Do it for yourself. Yeah, sure. But sometimes you're just not enough. In what case, in which case I say, do it for whoever it'll affect. And it will affect somebody. 
you doing something positive for yourself will affect somebody else positively. Just like you doing something negative will affect people that you don't even realize. That's what I learned. That people who are, maybe they're a client of mine. But when I wasn't doing as well, I could see that my clients weren't doing as well. It was mm. very strong. And I lost a lot of my closest clients this year. And I, at the time, I was like, I understand. I mean, it's the right move for them to do. I wasn't able to give them the energy I wanted. But of course, once I had finished my process and I was able to come back to a more level way of seeing the world, I was like, damn, those were like my protege. Those were my, my people that I've been coaching for nearly a decade. Some of them, like really wow. close to me people. And it's not like they didn't give me several opportunities to be like, come out, you know, be part of this again. But I always gave them enough information for them to keep going. But that's not what it was really about at a certain point. It was about me being they are present with them in their journey. And when I wasn't anymore for like a year, which is a very long time, they went elsewhere. And I fully understand that. But at the time, I didn't see that as an I just thought, hey, yeah, they're doing whatever suits best for them. In fact, a couple of them, I was like, yeah, that's a little rude for them to do that, actually. But no, it's totally understandable that they did that. But that is the cost. But that is the cost from not having paid the cost for a quarter of a century. That comes from, I didn't, do, I didn't, do, I didn't even know how to stretch. I, what I would do as a stretch is I would get into the end range of motion of the tissue that was the most painful I could hold. And then I would just stay there. That's not stretching. That's fighting yourself. Stretching is, you have to be able to breathe into your stomach, make the parasympathetic nervous system activate. That'll allow you to lengthen the ropes that are the muscles and that'll stretch. But if you just get into a painful position, you just kind of fight against it. You're like, ah, that's, you can do that for hours. You will increase the range of motion a little bit, but not much because at the end of the day, if you are trying to fight your tissue, it will never, it'll never work. That's why all these people who see bodybuilding or any of these sports as such an external thing, I would say jujitsu, all these things are much more internal than they are external because all the movements you make, think about it. Ask any of your students who aren't very advanced and say to them, what actual movements do you have to, which muscles do you have to activate in order to go from side control to a north-south? And I bet you most of them won't have any idea. They won't have the foggiest idea. And say, which, which limb do you move first? Which muscle is pulling? Which is, the, which is the working one? Which is the assisting muscle? Which is the one that lengthens while you shorten this muscle? But if you think about what is jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu is basically mental and physical chess with your body on the floor. It seems absolutely mind-blowing to me that people wouldn't be actively training more their own body to do these specific movements that they want than they would spend with other people. Because when you're rolling with somebody else, it never gives you the opportunity, beside when you've set up, obviously, as you're doing instructor, but it doesn't give you the opportunity to really focus on the muscles and create that mind-muscle connection. You always say you need to do something, what, 10,000 times? It's, it's a lot of times. We all know that. But you need to do it correctly so many times. Yes. Because if you yeah. do it incorrectly, I remember when I was showing you the counter tension, I was like, Renard, that's cool, but if you're just flexing your wrist back and forth, you're not getting the tissue. You have to do that counter tension in both directions. So it's the same with people who are learning how to do, let's say, a pass a guard. If they're never cognitively thinking about what they are doing with their body, where they are placing their weight, they'll they'll get better at it, obviously, just from gross repeatedly doing it. But somebody like a John Danger, Danger, whatever, Danger, 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 I really enjoy listening to him speak because it's applicable not just to jujitsu; it's applicable to anything that you do in life. It's this methodical practice. 
And if I, you know, if you if you're able to spend all day practicing it, that's awesome. If you're not, then you need a better approach, such as your approach. Your approach it takes people who cannot spend eight hours a day systematically, and it's it teaches them. So isn't it depending what school you go to? There's a big like isn't it a competition school? They're often just drilling over and over. It's more aggressive, and even then, are they learning the proper movements? At the end of the day, our entire body we can see it like imagine. It's a puppet, it's a battle robot, if you like anime, whatever. Your brain is like this little person in there controlling all these different levers. You have to be able to think, what levers do I have to pull in what order to do these specific moves? Then, once you know that pattern, you have to be able to do that with a stable foundation. Then you have to be able to do it with such a stable foundation that if you have another human trying to stop you doing it, you're still able to do the movement. There's all these different levels, isn't it? You watch somebody doing, let's say, a stand-up at base. Okay, cool. Now do a stand-up base with you pushing them. Totally different. The first one, they're like, yes, I got up. That's with no resistance. Now you add the resistance, the stability factor completely magnifies by like 100. And it's something totally different. So my thing has been with jiu-jitsu. I think, yeah, people should weight train, absolutely, because... It's the training that you're doing for yourself without the other person there. So it's purely focusing on you. Too much focus is put on on the opponent, I believe, in jiu-jitsu, not enough on themselves. Obviously, I, I know nothing in jiu-jitsu, but I know from watching it. From watching it, I'm like, more people focused on themselves more than the other person, I think they would do better. And I think that's true with so many things. I totally agree. And I know anything that we do, people may not understand the approach you know, like what's the rhyme and reasoning? So you're saying to them, hey, listen, I can give you a better physique. It's not going to start. People want to start at phase two. Let's just start training. It's like, no, 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 no. We have to do prehab work. You know, we have to get, we have to prepare your body to accept and be able to tolerate this load. You're right there, Renard. It takes a step. It's even a step more basic than that. I don't even say you don't have to weight train. I just say, Make sure that you can use your muscle correctly with the antagonist for at least 10 reps while holding the proper position. And then you know what happens, Renard. People do one set. One kid who works in the nutrition corner over here near uh, Target had him do five side raises. How did that work out for him? He said he was exhausted. A 20-year-old young man who bodybuild trains five days a week told me he felt exhausted after I had him raise his arms to the side five times just because I was making him hold the correct position. And this is something I've seen everywhere. People do not realize how enormously exhausting this work, like it is to do any X. If you can do it, and now we can put dumbbells in your hand, oh, you can do it with 200-pound dumbbells, go ahead, Hercules. I mean, if you can do it, you can do it. I have no problem with that. My, pro- my point is you need to be able to make sure that you can do it without extra load Then load it up as much as you possibly want, as long as you continue doing this. I used this example yesterday, Renard. Somebody who says, oh, this training is similar to this training. I said, jiu-jitsu and Greco-Roman wrestling look so similar. If you don't know what you're looking at, you just see it. But I can tell completely instinctively just by watching it myself that it feels completely different. It's a very different thing. What is your thought process when you have, let's say, a parent and they want their child to compete? You tell them they are not ready yet. They compete anyway. Now the child wins. Wins everything. And they continue winning. So on one hand, we have you, instructor, the leader, and 
you're letting it go. You be, you, you're very accommodating. So if they want to do it, they'll do it. But you make it quite clear that you don't think it's the best choice. But then you can nearly see, I have noticed this from my vantage point as one of the fathers. When this happens, it's often a little bit like, I told him so. I told him that you could, my kid would kick ass. And I always would go, but that's not really what Renard was commenting on. He wasn't talking about the short-term game. And that's where people mistake it. You going and you could go and win whatever contest, get every single trophy going. That doesn't necessarily mean it was a positive thing for your long-term success. So you can win a contest by default. Guy can get disqualified. You can, he can miss weight. There's so many variables. When you're doing a jiu-jitsu competition, it's not about medals. Those people are making it about medals. So but wouldn't you say, and I hate to interject here, but you winning that, when you go and you do a competition against another man who has that level, you know you are going against somebody who has dedicated a large portion of their life to this art. Yeah. So you are actually, this is, this is an honorable opponent. However, yeah. if you're a low-level belt, I, you could go in there, I could go in there, or somebody could go in there, which is like physically just, I'm being realistic, right? If I go against a 37-year-old, 200-pound man, chances are if I get my hands on them, it doesn't matter what my jiu-jitsu is like if we're both a white belt. Exactly. So it's how we do it. It's how we do it. And so the point of the point of a competition, it's not about winning a medal. It's like, it's about human performance. Like you, as a bodybuilder, you're looking, I need to develop my body to be a certain way. As a competitor, I'm thinking, I want to develop my skill set. Someone can go into a jiu-jitsu competition as a wrestler, zero jiu-jitsu experience, and win in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu contest. Does it make them a black belt if they beat a black belt? No, it doesn't. It's like, I want to see the implementation of skills that we've been acquiring over the months. So if they're not able to utilize or implement those skills that we've been covering, it doesn't matter if they won the event, it's still a failure. I think you should have exactly that, what you just said, printed on the wall, because that would help a lot of people. Because honestly, when you're new to it, I'm like me as well, I, I didn't see that view. I. I wouldn't have seen that. Now I see it 100%. And obviously it's the correct view. But when you don't know what you're actually looking at, then you go, yeah, well, okay. But yeah, my son or whatever, he won everything. So, I mean. So let me explain what typically happens. They probably burn out, right? Yes. Parents get really excited and on fire that my kid is so good. My kid is so good. And I'm like, guess what's going to happen? It's like, he is going to get burnt out. She is going to get burnt out. They're not going to want to do it anymore. It's not going to be fun. So that's why I balance with these kids. I'll spend time. I know when to push and I know when to pull back. I read, you know, it's like, all right, look, today we're going to be goofing off. But then when it's time to be serious, we're serious. And so I've had people question my coaching methods and I said, it's interesting that you're caught. They're like, well, you know, this person over here does this and this person over here. Well, let me ask you this. Or how many people there and everywhere else can have multiple training sessions throughout the week and not one person get injured? I think, Renard, you when you t tell that, you're telling them the unimportant parts. The important part is you are taking people, I've seen them, who have no physical prowess. And you are turning them into something. So you're changing their life by changing their ability to move their body changed my life because I didn't realize I, I wasn't able to lock into the right gear for the activity. That's simply what like I wasn't able to do it. So I had to go on a journey, discover how to do that. 
And at first it was like, I got really good. And you said, hey, it's very good flow rolling because I was only able to, I don't know how well it would have worked if I tried to do it forcefully. I had to go very gently at first. And now I'm looking forward to go again. It's just, I literally. That was a wonderful role. And I would never, ever say something just to make you feel good. Yeah. I, I honestly felt like if I were preparing for a jujitsu competition, I would roll with you because it was technical. It was thought out and there was a flow. There was no intensity in terms of muscle strength. Muscle, yeah. So when parents believe that they know better than I do, and I'm like, that's very comical. And they're like, well, see, I, I did this right here. And I'm like, hey, you're competing at a low level in these low rinky-dink tournaments. That's cute. I said, but let's see what happens when you elevate that kid to a more professional organization where everyone trains, lives, breathes, eats, sleeps this. And then how does your kid perform? Well, my kid didn't do well. My kid was choked unconscious. My kid got an arm broke or my kid got slammed hard and then what do you see cornelius when a kid loses you see the kid break down cry complain and sometimes they quit Renard, i remember they quit yeah there was one boy but there was more than one but there was one boy in particular who really enjoyed going against camilla because it was always a good match but he always managed to come out on top and then i remember the time he beat him and never saw him again yes i remember that he was good as long as he was beating up on camilla yeah and it, it's soon, and she was coming to the classes, and it's soon that one time it broke him. And so, what I do here is I make sure kids are mentally and emotionally prepared for what they're going to encounter. Also, it shouldn't be, I want them to be deliberate so it's repeatable. So, it's not a matter of let me just throw myself into this contest and then win. That's not scalable. It's not it's something that's repeatable. But can I, in a systematic way, prepare my body, be diligent? So I'm gonna I'm gonna do a pre-training, and then I'm gonna do a training camp, and then I'm gonna optimize my body and my technique during this time. And then when I go to compete, this is my approach. I'm gonna do this, this, and this. Now, if I say that I'm going to win the grip fight and get an outside, maybe an outside leg trip, and then place the guy in side control, and then I want to tap him out with a knee on his sternum, right? But instead, the guy ends up taking me down, and I triangle choke him. I still win. I'm pissed. When I won the Switzerland Open, I was pissed. You didn't finish it the way you wanted. I didn't finish it the way I wanted. And so I want to be able to say, I'm going to do this, on my call, my way. And if you can't do that, then you're in a real, you're in a reactive state and I don't want to be reactive. Now I'm at the mercy of them. I'm not the one running the show. They are. I'm just fortunate enough to be able to capture or catch them at that given time. So can we say that was luck? Who knows? I can't say that. But if I go in with a plan and say, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and that's what I say I'm going to do. And then I do it. That's a success to me. And it's a success. And it's a true loss to the other person. Because if you say to me, Cornelius, we're going to roll and I'm going to armbar you. That's how it's going to end. And you don't have a choice. And then it happens. Yeah. You, you have completely dominated me. And yes. mentally and physically, it's just done. 
So we have a program where these kids are now learning how to move. So when Ibrahim puts all those obstacle courses, you can't do judo unless you have good footwork. That's all judo is. It's mm -hmm. just bottom, the bottom half of your body. So to be able to move left and right, move forward and backwards without all these missteps, if you misstep, you will get thrown hard by a, by a judo person. So there's preliminary work that takes place. But when those kids get that, when they get it dialed in, when we fire that shot at a competition, that's why we win, Cornelia, is because we have a systematic way of training. And then there's a balance where I'm like, okay, guys, that's way too much. Let's just cool it off for the next two weeks. We're just going to chill. All right, let's ramp it back up. So I guess it, that's a long answer, but I know that when I see kids who win jujitsu tournaments, I have to ask, can they do it on a consistent level at a higher level? What's the probability winning first place? What's the probability of them actually getting to the podium? Very, very low. But would it end up happening? Because we have a very systematic way of training and also the mindset. That's why you see that competition mindset right there. Mm -hmm. I don't care about wins and losses. I care about the data so I can look at performance enhancements. Yeah, what, how do we optimize their performance? Okay, in this match right here, you did these things right here. So no one's interested in analyzing their technique, looking at film. I'm like, dude. I don't know what to yeah. I've analyzed any anything. You, that's how you analyze. We are so lucky that we have iPhones that you can play stuff in slow motion now. You yeah. Analyze stuff. But Renard, I have to say that's the, such a great explanation because when I first started coming here and I was like, oh, I'll do some lessons because I had a load of meathead friends and, who had done jujitsu and they started and they did my belt contest. And I was like, yeah, I think I could do a contest. And honestly, I was a little offended when you were like, oh, I think it's going to take that long. And this, and like people who are on the same level as me when I'm physically so much superior to these people, it's how my brain worked because I wasn't thinking it through as the way you're saying it. However, as you explained, jiu-jitsu is a way of, it's like you could win a bodybuilding show and you're competing against someone who just looks like a sack of, you know, not good stuff. Yeah. And you win just by default. That's the same thing if I go to a jiu-jitsu tournament and I just roughhouse my way to a victory in a white belt. Yes, yes. No, I didn't win that jiu-jitsu. I entered a jiu-jitsu tournament and used, yeah, it, technically quite unfair because it's just using my brute physicality to beat a load of middle-aged guys who are doing jiu-jitsu, you know, white belt, just starting now as well. I wouldn't. It wasn't anything that would be valuable down the road. And you knew that instinctively, so you pushed me in the right direction. I'm very glad that you did, because, I mean, what? let's say I would have done a contest. Let's say I would have won great, Make, lost great. Maybe I could have got injured. Maybe I would have injured somebody. That would bother me a lot to actually hurt somebody. That's right. Like, it's not it's not ever a goal with anything I do. So, I mean, it's these things that people don't look at, but I really think they should look at it. And like you said, with the movements, the obstacle courses. Now, imagine if with all this stuff, Everybody just knew a few basic things like making the hips like a firm pillar to pull from or the shoulders. Just these certain body positions and cues that we know, okay, we sh this is a firm foundation because our legs pull from beneath the hips. People are moving their hips all the time. They have their lower abdominals soft, so they have no foundation to pull. They have no foundation to put power through their legs. So if you're doing jiu-jitsu, and you're on your back, and let's say you're trying to slap a triangle on somebody, the, how effective it will be doesn't only depend on your technique. Of course, technique is, is concept, but it's also your ability to keep your spinal erectors and your lower abdominals tight enough that you can actually have a foundation that is worth pulling from. Because if I throw my leg around your head and 
I'm not engaged here, you, just, you can just peel my body over to the side. It's not going to be an issue. If I have disengaged and I'm holding it down, now there's a whole new problem because I'm in actually a very stable foundation. And the parents putting the kids into competition. And then we were talking about, I was saying how if all, if all the kids had got some, and I call it the control position or power position, simply because you have the brand. And it's there's already people starting to rip my stuff off. I see it when I go into the gym. It's funny, I, I, how people lift weights is now different. The people who follow me, when I see them in the gym, they're all trying to do the control method where you're dragging it down, dragging it up. It's a very deliberate way of training that I do. It's 100% visible when somebody does it because it's literally, it looks like the weight is floating because we're using the antagonistic muscle to guide the agonist. So the tension goes in both directions. If you just grab my hand and start pulling it down, it wouldn't just fall. The whole point is that we have the muscle that makes us move in one direction, and then we have the muscle that makes us move in the other direction. That's the antagonist. They're made to work like pistons together at the same time. And as you get efficient at this, it has nothing to do with strength. It has to do with making sure you're getting the most out of your body. That will allow you to make the most efficient and the strongest, but mainly the most efficient and most controlled movements. Because even if you were reaching out to grab this pot of coffee that is on the table in front of us, if you're not using your antagonistic muscles, there is no stability. You're moving in what you're essentially falling in one direction. Understood. Uh, while using the antagonist, that creates the stability. So if the kids or adults and every anybody, if you just learned how to, while doing your jiu-jitsu, move like that, which is how we're mo meant to move always, it's just no one is taught how to move correctly, if you think about it. Or if they are taught, it's very specific. It's ballet, it's gymnastics, it's these very specific movements. No one's saying, hey, this is how you sit down onto a seat. Hey, when you're moving this, make sure your hip bones are kept very solid and level with your spinal erectus and your lower abs. No one is really saying that. No. And the kids, kids just like I've talked about the bound up tissue. Camilla has bound up tissue in her arms, in her legs. You go, oh, she's 11, she's a kid. How does that happen? Because guess what, guys? doesn't matter if you're a child or an adult, wear is wear. And she's done a lot of wear on her body with all the training. So yeah, she has a little bit of this stuff in here. Difference is now at age 11, she can learn this. She can acknowledge it and she can just fix it as it comes. That's she, amazing. And she's never going to have it. It took me a year or many, many months, but dude, my body, your body is it would be pretty trash too, but like our bodies are definitely on the end of more wear of the of people I've worked on. A lot of people I've worked on, it's more like it's a lack of use that's caused issues for them, if that makes sense. Yes. So they have an area that doesn't move that well. And then the rest of their body is actually not too bad once you get it in. Well, you and me, everything needs to, you know, everything to do with a work through. But if you start young, or let's say your boys, if they learn stuff like this, they will be never requiring, or it's always good to do this, but chiropractor, I have adjusted my own spine. I've seen the vertebra literally align myself while watching myself in the mirror. I've done all those things. And one of my good friends is a chiropractor. He watches everything I do. And he always says, I explain everything perfectly and it makes perfect sense because nothing I'm doing is new or suspect. I'm just taking it and I'm using it in a different context than what people are used to using it. While people are used to doing stuff like this, oh, I've got to recover my crappy body. It's all trash. And then if I can live a normal life, I'll be happy. While I'm saying, hey, look, you're in your 30s. You're a so-called master trainer master lifter but in reality our bodies can are regenerating constantly so we do the right work on it and maybe maybe your body isn't like when you were 18 
but it's going to be a lot better than that other dude who is 47 who didn't do all that work. It's it's a practice, Cornelius. Like I like as I'm talking to you right now, I'm constantly doing the motions that Cornelius has taught me, activating your core, sitting up straight, shoulders are back, and then yeah, you know, I just I'm always pushing up, pushing and then moving the shoulders, just movement. And it's 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 addictive because you want to fix your body. Yeah. And yeah. isn't it beautiful to do it's nothing feels better to me, Renard, than doing a movement that I haven't been able to do because I'm like, okay, good, that's bad. That's pretty scary that I lost that. Like when I first worked with you at the first session, Renard, yeah. literally your shoulders didn't actually move. It was only your scapula and it was limited. And your spine, I couldn't get into a straight line. So I was like, I'm literally just giving Renard a freaking shoulder massage at this point. Because we're not, I'm not able to get him in the good position. I was like, I hope this plays off. And it did, because you got value out of it by the end. But it's, we just stop. That's what I say to all my clients. I'm like, train all day. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? It means once you're actually into it, you will want to move. Yeah. You will want to do it. And if, you, if you're like, yeah, I don't know about it. It means you haven't started. You haven't tried. Stop talking to me until you've at least tried you can't stop touching yourself. I'm, I'm literally, every, you start finding, you become like this investor, like, oh shit, I got this big, this shouldn't be here. And then you you just get hooked on it. I'm sure if there were a pill that people can take, they would take the pill. This is how we find if we have, you know, people say, oh, check if you have like cancer and stuff. Yeah. This is, we're doing checks like this constantly because we are actually present with our own body. This is yeah. us. This is our mechanism, our life thing. And people are just like, you know, I'll go and lift weights four times a week. I put my freaking disturbed soundtrack on and then I crank the heavy weights without using any thought or anything. And then I'm surprised my body doesn't work so well anymore and I'm not healthy. And no connection. It's no connection. And it was the same like with the shoulder. Arteries get calcified. That's the big issue for bodybuilders, big issue nowadays. And I realize it's less the arteries that are calcifying, but the entire body is calcifying from the outside in. And once it stops moving, that's like, I feel like if I hadn't done all this, I would have probably died at a similar age as my dad, about 10 years. I feel like that's about right because it will continue calcifying, continue getting tighter on itself. And then in the end, you have an infarction or something like that happens. Well, if we break down all that stuff, if it keeps moving, I mean, our heart is right here. It's not far away. So we make sure all the tissue is moving well. The heart is probably not actually calcified because the heart is continuously pumping and working and working. Muscles that we just leave sit alone for it's like, oh, when did you last externally rotate your shoulders? Oh, 2018? Yeah, that's probably an issue, but the heart is constantly going. So if we get the rest freed, I think chances are I'm probably going to be pretty uh, sitting in a pretty good space for not having calcified arteries and then like a heart attack. So what is some what are some exercises that people can do essentially get themselves back into it's a great question Renard because I literally up until recently I would have given you a different answer which would not have been as effective what people should do tonight is run themselves a nice hot Epsom salt bath have a nice hot salt bath and then I want you just to once you've toweled off and you dried off examine the skin from head to toe and if you have skin that is stuck to the lower levels which means if your skin, you can right now to see what I mean, guys, pinch the back of your hand, feel how the skin comes up cleanly. If the skin doesn't come up cleanly like that and is more like gripping onto a lower level, that is an adhesion. That must be fixed. That is the first step. Fix any skin adhesions. Places that we get them. Scars, that's a big one. Bony areas on the shoulders, the bony areas on the shin, around the ankles, the knees, any of the joints. 
anywhere where the skin is bound to the surface layer is bound up you gently massage through it use like a crisscross skin walking is what it's called you can look it up on youtube it's very very basic you just have to go gently and slowly because it is your skin and we are trying to break up the slightly lower dermis level so it's not clinging so everything can move freely so you do that first of all and guaranteed you're going to have something that's somewhere bound up for example if you have a breast augmentation at the way you can stop them getting also calcified ladies is literally on a daily basis just kind of massage your implants move them around a little bit and then you won't end up with the encapsulated in in the issue you, there's a lot of issues that come for competitors with breast implants which could be avoided if they just work the surrounding tissues on a daily basis then once you have done that and you've realized your skin it's good and clear from head to toe the next thing is just start moving every joint in your body we should every joint in our body should move and what you're going to want to do is you're going to use want to this is the only way you can test if it's working or if your body works correctly is to use so-called counter tension and all that means is that you are using the muscle correctly that's all it is correctly in order for a muscle to fully shorten the antagonist so its opposing muscle has to fully lengthen then for the target muscle to fully lengthen the antagonist so the opposite muscle must fully shorten so it's like a back and forth and if you're only moving the target muscle you're never fully shortening and you're never fully lengthening it and you're never fully moving through the muscle so if you fully move through the muscle using the antagonist and the agonist at the same time just kind of tr most ideal would be 51% tension in one direction, 49 in the other, and then just kind of swap back and forth. That would be the most kind of medical kind of way of doing this. And that's what they have done for certain conditions. But you can do it for weight training too. And if you do that, you're going to see if everything is working correctly. And if you have certain areas, probably guys, it'll be your glutes. You'll be like, oh, I'm not able to contract them so well. Chances are you're not catching your hip flexors before you start pulling with the glutes make sure you're engaging the antagonist and the agonist just work your way through the whole body and i mean if you're able to shorten and lengthen every every body every joint without issues and then you're going to be pretty good then you're going to be good if your skin is good and you can do that but if you're not then you're going to have to address those issues another issue is are you able to be in the control position which just basically means think military attention you're straight as a line from your hips down it's pulling into the ground from the top of your head up, it's pulling straight up. So it's kind of this pulling from the hips down, pulling from the hips up. It, 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 as you get better at it, guys, you will feel the stability that comes from doing that. feels like you're pushing into the ground. Yes. It feels like you're literally stomping through concrete. Yeah, it feels like it literally you're not going to move. And then there's one level above it where you bring the arms out to the side. And I have a few times managed to get like everything that wasn't quite in the right position immediately moved back into the right position. It's... That requires more work, and yeah, I have to get back to working on that. I was working so much on this shoulder, I didn't have a hold on. So I would tell them, make sure you're able to get in that position, meaning you can, you're can. you in a straight line, glutes are contracted in and up, your abs are pulled in and tight, you're in a straight line, head is at neutral, and now just move your limbs without moving your torso at all. Just make sure you're able to do that. And as long as you're able to do that, then you, you're sitting pretty. But no one that I have worked with has being able to say with all those boxes, check, check, check. So that's where I would start. Okay. So if people wanted to have work like this done on themselves, 
what would you say is the next steps? The best way to do it, Renard, is just go on to Instagram, cdcon, that's the letter C, the letter D, E, C, O, N, C, D, con, and my profile come up and you can follow my stuff. You can shoot me a message on there. I'm coming out with a s system, but currently I put a lot of free information up on my story because this is stuff I'm happy. If you can take this information and make your life better, I'm happy for you to do that. I try not to give the entire program away because I've had people copy, rip me off quite a bit before. But just in general, the great thing is we can work at this continuously. If you have areas that are teased, well, what I would suggest, besides following my stories and all of that, is go and see a good deep tissue therapist and say to them ahead of time, like I have this calcified bound up tissue in my arm or whatever body part that is restricting. And if they kind of reply to you like you're crazy like I've said, then they're, they're not good therapists. Don't bother. Anyone who's a good therapist will know exactly what that means and they'll work on you. And that's a good way to get started. Okay. Very nice. So once again, what's the Instagram? It is CDCon. That is the letter C and then D-E-C-O-N or on YouTube, Cornelius Parkin on Facebook, Cornelius Parkin. Yeah. Those are the, those are the main platforms. You can also go on my website, deconnutritionandtraining.com, even though that's a little bit out of date, but if you want to send me an email, you could on there. But Instagram is probably the best way, guys. And you can also look up hashtag control training because I started using that, capitalizing the CO and N because that's a name I used to go by on the forums a lot before social media was a thing. I was actually, a, like, I suppose a forum influence, <laughs> but, but I guess I was. I guess that's the word for it. But yeah, that's what I would say. No, I certainly appreciate the, the conversation that we've had today. And there is obviously, there's more questions that I still have. Let's do it well, again whenever you like, Renard. I live one mile down the road. Absolutely. And I certainly appreciate the insight that you were able to provide to people as well, especially with the idea that it's ultra important to prepare the body before you start doing the, the heavy lifting. You know, it's just like there was a... Same. It's a step before that. Even with jiu-jitsu, though, so I don't want people to think I'm only focusing on lifting. Like, I wanted to do jiu-jitsu, like, a lot. So I did the privates with you. I did a couple of lessons, and I knew that something was just missing, and my my ability to progress was going to hit a ceiling very quickly, and that ceiling was down to my neurological control, my body. So I was like, I have no place training with other human beings if I have training I need to do on myself before I start doing that. So you've made huge progress. His range of motion is insane now. Like it's it's phenomenal. If you can imagine the Tin Man, now Gumby. And I think the biggest lesson of that, Renard, is it's all, it's all down to the central nervous system. We're primarily made out of water. We can be as flexible and as movable as we want if our mind is allowing us. While if we stay hard and rigid with our thoughts, then our body will be hard and rigid. And on that note, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in to the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast. Thank you so much, Cornelius. My it's pleasure. been a pleasure, buddy. My pleasure. All right, take care.